Welcome to the Lock Sportscast, your weekly source for Lock Sport news and occasional interviews. I'm your host, Charles Current. In today's episode, we have a conversation with Jeff Moss. Jeff Moss is a locksmith, a lock collector, and a YouTube creator. You can check him and his lock collection out on his YouTube channel called Jeff Moss. A link to his channel will be in the show notes. For full show notes with links, visit www.thelocksportscast.com. You can find this show on most podcast apps, YouTube, and at thelocksportscast.com. Before we get started, I'd like to say thank you to this episode's producers. Executive producers for this episode are Medler, Pandafrog, and Michael Gilchrist, who are my Patreon subscribers. A special thanks to Jeff Moss for being my guinea pig on my first ever interview. I just want to say right off the bat, this is my first ever interview. I actually had somebody else lined up first, but Jeff's scheduling came out ahead of time, so he got to be the guinea pig. I had some technical problems while recording this. My equipment didn't work quite the way I expected it to, and I had a failure on a recorder. But uh, I promise I'll keep improving my equipment and my skills, so stick with me. Don't judge me completely based on this particular interview. And with that, here's the conversation with Jeff Moss. Welcome to the Lock Sportscast. Glad to be here. (laughs) So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into Lock Sport and what journey you've been on? So my story started, I've always been mechanical. I've always, I was the kid that took everything apart. Um, my toys were t- tools, you know, I've always, you know, I wanted to be a mechanic when I was a kid. I wanted to be a landscaper. Then I wanted to be a car designer because my grandpa said you could make a lot of money doing that. Then my dad got a job working for a telecommunications company. So I got super into that industry, which led into it. Um, I discovered lock picking probably by accident in college, just some YouTube videos, bought a few things, um, was not very good at picking, but discovered that I was better at taking locks apart, fixing them, you know, making them work again, got to know the locksmiths at my school, you know, started buying parts and cylinders and things like that. Um, you know, had an IT job that paid for the hobbies. It was actually at a manufacturing company. So I was able to get some tools made and things like that, that I actually now use. Um, did that for about three years. Didn't like being on call 24-7. You know, all it was pretty high stress. Um, you know, continued building my collection and local lock sport groups, stuff like that. You know, doing events, uh, local conferences and things. Uh, a job opened up at a large security company here in town uh, in their IT department. And I thought it would be great because it's a locksmithing company and it was doing IT. I was there for about two and a half years. Basically, you know, they didn't care that I was interested in locks. I was there to do computer stuff. I was around the stuff all day, and it was like, basically, it's almost like being, you know, taunted with the stuff that you like and you can't do anything, you know. <laughs> um, so somebody, basically, the company that I work for has been around a very long time. 
not as long as some of the other shops here, but long enough. And the family, I, I knew them. I had been in there before buying stuff. And I knew a lot of people that use them. Um, and somebody that my mom worked with was like, hey, you know, if Jeff is ever interested, I'll put in a good word. And at some point I reached the point, I'm like, I don't want to do this job anymore. Um, so he put me in touch with him, who's my boss now. Um, went and met with him. You know, he was able to use somebody not only in the shop, but also, you know, with my IT background. Um, and now that even though I don't really do that kind of stuff, it comes into play with some of the things that we're doing now, and I can get into that a little bit later. Um, but it's good to have that person, good to have that knowledge in the back, in your back pocket. You know, most of what I'm doing is mechanical stuff, you know, day to day. Um, but there is, I feel like I get to contribute some unique stuff that some people may not, you know, without the IT background. Right. Um, especially with a lot of the stuff that, he's been doing and that we are now doing with some new equipment um you know it's a small company there's 10 of us most of the people are on the road doing service calls primarily i'm the one in the shop along with one of the owners uh and whoever is not on calls you know they're helping or preparing work or whatever the case may be you know for their jobs or i'm preparing work for their service for the next day and somebody comes in and you know, with, I can talk about the whole COVID thing, how that's affected us, because it's kind of interesting. Um, it, it's just so, no two days are the same. And I feel like in my IT world, everything was the, it was the same day after day, you know, checking the same things, checking the same boxes, following the same procedures, waiting for the phone ring, waiting for something to go wrong, which we sort of do as well. But now it's like the phone rings and that's, you know, somebody wanting, us to come out and do something and some of it's an emergency but a lot of it is a perceived emergency but it's really not an emergency you know it's like do you want to pay for emergency service well not really you can do it tomorrow you know yeah if it's at five o'clock and something's broken and they can't secure the building that's a different story and we send the guy out and they'll you know depending on what it is you know we have the retail customers that call us if somebody can't lock up a store on a holiday and they haven't tested anything and, you know, they haven't used their keys in nine months and, you know, that's coming soon. <laughs> so it, it's, uh, you know, it's a small company, but we get involved with some pretty big stuff, you know, because of the relationships that, you know, the that the owners have built and, and, you know, just being in the community for since 1964 is when their dad started the business. Oh, wow. So, you know, there's a lot of customers that have been with them forever, you know, just walk in business. I've been coming here for 50 years and, you know, other local businesses that we do a lot of work for. So it's, uh, you know, I get to make things and use my hands and get dirty and, you know, figure out why something stopped working and, you know, you can't fix everything, but, you know, it's like the collector in me pains me when, you know, the woman brings in a hundred year old mortise cylinder that's basically frozen solid. And, you know, if we had the time, you know, to soak it for two days and take it up, you know, it's just not cost effective, you know, yeah, you know, you're selling her a, selling her a $20 cylinder, 
it's just unless it was you know a historic house or something like that and it's like you know i probably have that cylinder sitting down here somewhere um but you know you can't replicate that you know patina and all that stuff but they just want something that's functional so it's like i see stuff where it's like yeah i would take the time if it was me but you know for the customer and for the boss and the person that's paying the bills you know they don't have the same enthusiasm about it they just want you know how often do you see that older stuff comes in waves i mean now that people are doing things again we get you know some of the older mortise locks brought in and and people are working on their cars and some of the older car stuff that we do you know guy brought in a he had a corvette that he didn't have keys for the door he just got it from alabama he brought in the glove box we're able to make a key from that and based off of that make a key that worked the doors because the way the numbers added up it can only be like one of two keys and my, the first key my boss made worked the door so you know there's six cuts and you have five and you have to add up to an even number you know there's a max i forget what it is i have it written down at work so for you know you know in your head that it can only be you know one of two cuts and if you cut the first one you get a 50 50 right right and and you know so there there's that there's you know people working on old buildings from time to time and there's old hardware that you have to keep rekeying and you know as new buildings are being built and restorations and i was actually they it never happened but they built they filmed a movie at a school here that was since knocked down and the guy needed a a Schlage spanner wrench to take the lock off a door or something. And it was supposed to bring me a lock after they filmed the movie. And he never did. It was a neat Schlage knob with a design they haven't made in 50 years. And like, would be cool. Oh, I but, forgot about you. huh? Yeah. I mean, not a big deal, but you know, there, there's stuff like that where like uh thing, everything has to match. Well, they haven't made these locks in 20 years. Well, just piece it together. Okay. You know, there's like some condominiums that are like that where everything on the outside of the, all the unit doors have to look the same. Well, Schlage hasn't made that part type of lock forever. And somehow they make them work, whether they're taking them out of storage or, you know, it's just things aren't made. That's probably one of the challenges that I didn't maybe foresee or realize. It's like stuff just isn't made the same way or to the same standards as it used to be. And it's not going to, there was, I, I sold a guy a new lock the other day. He had a Schlage F-series knob and it was marked from 1984. So it was older than me. And you're not going to get that kind of life out of a new Schlage lock today, at least not the residential stuff, you know. Unlikely. Things are, right. They're, I mean, if you buy a 150 or $200 Schlage grade one or grade two, yeah, you probably will. I mean, there's definitely some some parts inside that aren't what they used to be but for the most part the higher end stuff is still you know i had a sergeant mortise lock that a a truck hit the door and i mean it stayed solid and secure i mean the lock had to be replaced but it held you know it's like that's a six seven hundred dollar lock you know the door stayed intact the you know every the the lock stayed locked (laughs) um wouldn't unlock but you know stuff like that where you're paying a lot more you know the the 15 dollar quick set knob at home depot we 
we don't try to compete with that, you know. Um, so, our key, you know. How big a difference is there between the, like, commercial-grade Schlage and the residential? I have some well, idea because I have residential uh, stuff yeah, here and Schlage, we use commercial I mean, work, but... Even, even the same Schlage F-Series that we get, you know, the cylinders are not brass anymore. Um, that stuff's basically the same, you know, the, the roses come off the lot when you open the box. Like, you know, I don't think that's much different than what you buy at Home Depot, but like the, the A-Series, for example, I mean, the, the cylinders are still solid brass. They have nickel silver pins versus, you know, like some pot metal with brass pins and, you know, brass keys and not nickel silver. You know, that kind of thing. I mean, the quick set stuff is not much different. The stuff that we sell has a, still has a metal spindle, doesn't have a plastic spindle. We don't sell the smart key. You know, we repair them when they fail because they do fail. Um, but like some of their stuff, like their lever, they're with the, the thumb press and stuff. There's like, you open this up, like, who designed this? You have to take this entire thing apart to get the cylinder out, and there's springs and ball bearings and covered in grease. And, you know, half hour later, you're, like, swearing at the guy who designed this thing. But if you had a Schlage E-Series handle set from the 50s, even though the parts aren't made anymore, you could probably fix it in, you know. Everybody has a, 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 stock, a stock of, you know, old stuff. But eventually, sometimes you got to tell people, you know, I— Sorry, you got to buy a new door. You know, a lot of it, like the people have uh, iron security doors, and there was one brand called Imperial that used this weird lock, and they used Dexter cylinders, and they just stopped making the whole thing, the door and the lock. People come in. We had a few parts. You know, typically, um, they got to buy a whole new security door. And, oops. Oh, that's okay. I dropped something. <laughs> um, you know, th that... Some people don't realize that. They just think the parts are sitting on a shelf somewhere. You know, I looked at, I'm like, wow, this place has a ton of stuff. Well, there's a lot of stuff. You know, we keep parts for certain people because things that aren't made anymore, you know. But if you, know, if you don't have it, you don't have it. You know, these locks, you know, a lot of it's on the, the imported stuff. I see, like, cabinet locks and file cabinets and furniture stuff where... You know, somebody takes a copy of a copy of a Y11 in the blank, and it's, you know, it's not, it's just imported stuff that we can't really match up. So somebody needs keys, and we can't make them because they just don't have blanks, because they didn't use something that was, you know, like an industry standard type of thing. And that makes them, you know, because they're coming to us, and we're the experts, and, you know, we can't always do it. You know, you don't want to just sell them new stuff but sometimes that's the reality is that you know i don't want people to think oh these guys are just trying to sell me stuff like no we can't get it you know if somebody buys a building when someone has this restricted cylinders on it you know that's may or may not be a patented product and they don't want to deal with that company so they come to us and we basically say there you go here's uh Kaba peaks it's going to cost you a lot less than the Medico, but you have to replace everything because, you know, you're tied into the, to another vendor. So that's, you know, it's just no, even though it's not patented, it's still restricted and we're not going to, you know, we can't make the key. So sorry. I mean, at least once a day, somebody comes in with someone else's 
restricted medical key asking us to make it. Oh, so they're they're restricted by the area or by shop? Yeah, well, the the particular company, which is the one I used to work for, there's a much there's Medico has several programs, um, and this one is like higher than the distributor one. It's one there's maybe only twelve or fifteen locksmiths in the country that have this keyway, and it's you know they can sell it all around the country to their customers, um, but nobody's going to cut anybody else's blanks. We couldn't get them anyway. You right. know, you have it's a it was a buy in like back in the eighties. And they get their stuff, and it's got their name on it. Whereas there's other medical stuff that you know you could sign up to be a distributor, and conceivably, I guess you could re- if you had that keyway, you could rekey it. You know, we take out a ton of their cylinders, <laughs> kind of thing. Like, but we can't do anything. You know, if somebody had a lock that it was an emergency and it was on that key, we could rekey it or or make it work. You know, we do work on some of the the older medical stuff, but you know, the only way to get parts for that Medico is through this company, you know, because that's their, you know, we have our Cabo Peaks. We're the only one in the area that has it because, you know, through our distributor, through Cabo, they they distribute certain keyways in certain areas. Same thing with Schlage. It's, I think, by zip code, depending on which program you're in, either zip code or area code. So somebody 45 minutes away could have the same sidebar, but it has our number on it, a different, you know, has a certain ID number where they wouldn't cut our key and we wouldn't cut theirs because it's a, you know, it's a contract. Okay. That makes sense. So, you know, there, there's a lot of these people, oh, we're going to 3D print, but like, I just, as a collector, it's one thing and I've made things work for my own locks by modifying one medical keyway to fit another. But for a customer, you would never do that. Or, you know, oh, I'll 3D print you this key. No, like, it's hard to see, you know, because at one point it's like, no, you're disclosing things that are vulnerable. And the other hand, it's like, I would never do that for a customer, you know. Right. You, because there's, there's a, ethic, yeah. There's the hobby level and then there's the professional level. And right. certain and things I are have, not done. Right. Like, I, I would never, I have some old railroad locks here that are, Typically, they would use like a, a cast brass or a cast bronze key. Well, I had somebody make the key out of a piece of copper pipe. Well, that thing's going to be used five times in the next five years. You would never tell the customer, well, yeah, I can make this for you in my basement. You know, you just, you wouldn't do that. But for your own personal use and things that are, you're not relying on it. It's sort of like why, you know, it's why you tell people you don't pick lots, you don't you that you don't use and more importantly you don't pick locks that you rely on because you're just asking for problems and things can definitely go wrong yeah and those threads i mean those are all the time and there's always going to be oh somebody's breaking in someone's doing like we tell people you know criminals aren't picking locks is what we tell people in our lock picking uh presentations and stuff you know picking locks takes time and if somebody wants to get in they're going to do the quickest thing possible you know are we going to be able to get in with picks every time no sometimes they have to be drilled sometimes locks fail you know being in the shop it's different i'm not the one actually going to the lockouts but you know say you got four cylinders on the door and you can't get in one so you drill it and take the rest out and um you know there's some things that it's just it's not worth that you know you could sit there and 
okay, I have a Schlage lock on the door. I got to get in. I'll impression a key. Well, in the shop, when you have time to do that, and the lock won't pick, like on a Schlage knob or something stupid, you know, and you just need to get it apart, you know, you try picking it, you try bumping it. All right, I'll make it, I'll impression a key, and eventually it'll open because there's four more like it. You know, that you wouldn't do that in the field, but, you know, if it was, I don't know, like a set of cabinet locks or something simple, maybe you would. You know, it, it depends on what, you know, our guys are pretty busy and there's, you know, you get, there's only so much time, <laughs> you know, you can't spend all day, you know, cause you got other calls and people need to get in their house. Yeah. Time is money. So yeah. how many locks do you expect you probably have in your collection down there? I, I stopped <laughs> counting a long time ago. It's easier that way. I, I really have no idea. I've seen a few of your videos where you're going through those. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And it's a lot of it is just, like I, have, I mean there's just so much stuff but it's nothing compared to a lot of other people <laughs> plus a lot of it's really not displayed it's in all these drawers and bins and you know so it's organized and it looks like a hardware store because a lot of the bins and stuff actually came from the hardware store i used to work at and that's how i sort of got into the, you know i worked at a couple hardware stores in high school got a lot of keys was interested in how stuff worked one guy showed me how to rekey quick side locks and you know real basic stuff which now I could do it in my sleep, but QuickSight comes in and it's like, ugh. Because most of the time we're master, we're master keying them and the second you take them apart, you know, it's just, you know, it, it's, and there's, you know, it's a lot where they're worn out. You know, the landlord's rekeying these locks for the 27th time and, you know, so you can adjust, you know, make it use a, instead of every step using, you know, a one master pin, you might stretch it out to use a two master pin every other cut so that you're not, you don't have as you know, small of a depth, you know, in between your cuts because, you know, a one master pin for quick set is pretty small. You know, you'll get less keys, but you'll have less issues because if you go up to like a three, a two master wafer, which is like 40 thousandths or something, and there, there's other things. It's like this lock is just going to, you're just going to have issues and they're not going to put in better stuff. You know, even like the Schlage F series, like with the compressible, like they're really not designed to be master key. But sometimes you have to do it and make it work. But it's like, you know, they're not going to spend the money to do it the right way. At what point do you? And that's part of it. It's like I've had customers and I've looked at stuff and I've said to my boss, like, really? And they're like, yeah, just, you know, this is what they want. Like, okay. So what the customer's and, paying you to do? Well, a lot of it is when you take over somebody else's stuff. And constantly, whether we're the preferred vendor and the general contractor has somebody do it, or they don't like them, or they don't like another locksmith, or they're not getting service. So half the time, you know, this is, I don't have a key here, but I mean, you could pick any key. Guy comes in, um, I want the locks keyed up, and... Hang on. I'm just trying to find something to use. Here's my master key. Just make them work. We don't have a system. It's like, do you, and there, there's two, I could talk about this for a long time, but do you, there, there are three things you could do. One, you take that master key, you take a pair of quick set pre-cuts or Schlage pre-cuts, and you just make it work. You take their master key, you make a system in the computer, you explain to them, we don't know what you have. We can't guarantee what's in use going forward. We'll keep track. 
or you create a whole new master key system with a new master key. Tell them that you're, you know, as they bring locks in, you're going to put them on the new master key. Everything will be documented. It's really not going to cost more, but they'll know what's in, and you know, eventually they'll rotate off the old system. And obviously, that's going to be the best because you're already using it. Uh, most of the cases is an unrestricted system because otherwise we wouldn't really be working on it. You know, it's a Schlage or a Yale or whatever. You don't know what's out there. But most people don't, they don't really care, you know, unless it's, hey, our maintenance guy got fired. He has all these master keys. We have to redo everything. You know, if it's a primus system or something, you know, they're not going to get the blanks or the peaks or whatever, or they just, you know, there are other times where we just have, okay, we want to rekey our whole facility. Okay. Or we're redoing this particular grocery store. We're putting in all new doors and hardware. We're taking the old stuff out. We're putting new cores in, you know, and they they put in doors that don't match the rest of the system or the housings or whatever. And uh, it's kind of like, do you not realize what they're using before? You know, they don't think about it. They just are slapping stuff in, and we have to deal with it. And it, you know, a lot of it is, you know, there was a job that came up last week where the hardware general contractor uses a hardware supplier the hardware supplier's keying guy was out sick so can you guys make it make this happen so we did you know and several people took like two people working on this thing you know for a couple days back and forth you know pinning the cylinders and then going out and installing them you know because somebody else couldn't do it and we were able to do it and made everybody happy but then there's other times where like i had a box of cores dropped off the other day the uh this that same hardware supplier through a different general contractor told the customer that they couldn't get best cores that weren't pinned. Well, that's not true because you have to get them some. So the building uses a six pin system and they provided them seven pin cores and locks and stuff, which is fine. But I they they pinned all these locks up with keys that were basically useless. So I took all their cores, dumped them out, repinned them. I had 15 cores, best, brand new, best original cores, like 10 of them I couldn't even turn. So somehow they got them keyed up once, and they were so tight, I couldn't get them to work. So we ended up selling them more cores out of our own stock that were, you know, they're not best, but they're, you know, made by another company. And, you know, it's a good U.S. made core, you know. But it's like if they would have just ordered the stuff from us in the beginning, we wouldn't have used seven pin cores where you don't need them. We would have had six pin cores would have been on the building system. And then they come and order like 26 more keys and their key machine broke. <laughs> so we're getting work like the, the company that manages the buildings. We're already doing stuff in the rest of the building. Hey, we have their key system. We do all their stuff. The general contractor does work with us on all these other projects. But for whatever reason, you know, it has to go through this hardware, you know, it's like it goes through the hardware supplier who then uses us on other jobs that they can't do. Like they only do Schlage. So they have a best or whatever, something weird, like the building hasn't existing. You know, there's somebody different. I haven't even talked about like, you know, the over-the-counter customer. I mean, that's just the, the, the neighborhood and everyday people coming in to get keys made or locks rekeyed for their house. So what percentage of your customers are the I mean commercial I versus say, residential or you know the over the counter versus I mean 
it, I would say overall 50-50. I mean, with the COVID stuff for a while, there were no residential people coming in. We weren't doing residential service calls. People would come and get car keys made, and we wouldn't do them because we didn't want to go into people's cars. You know, and slowly things have gotten back up. You know, we never closed. We shortened our hours for a bit, and we're still limiting. We only let two people in at a time. You have to wear a mask. We all wear masks, you know, taking all the precautions, trying to anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of commercial accounts that, you know, we're the only place they go. So anytime they need locks or keys or anything, I might see these guys every other day, you know, like the schools or the hospitals that are around. Um, and we we recently got a programming machine that we can do a lot more car keys where we were turning away quite a few of them. Now we have a fancy programmer and they got a new Sidewinder machine. So between those, you know, we're definitely busier. Somebody will come in, they need a key. We get it in a day or two. They come back, we cut and program it. It might take a half hour, but that's a half hour. I'm in the parking lot that I'm not working on something else, you know, because there's orders coming in from stores. There's service calls that need to be done in the next couple of days that need keys cut or locks, you know, cylinders prepped or whatever it is. Um, you know, it, it's pretty, there's definitely a lot of moving parts. Um, so, you know, at least trying to get things scheduled in, on the shop side, like, don't come in at 4.45 to get a key program. <laughs> and that happened the other day. So how busy is the shop? Are you? Did COVID really affect your business level much? Or? I mean, for a little while, it was pretty slow in the shop, and it's definitely picked back up as far as, you know, people coming in and all that. You know, um, yeah, I mean, the last month or so, it just sort of, like, exploded. I had, like, a bench with nothing but that went from like the bench being clear to like, what time is it? There's just stuff all, <laughs> you know, playing catch up. Stop. Right. For all the people that didn't come in before. Yeah, I would say, or there's, you know, there's all of a sudden there's influx of construction projects because there's more money and, you know, everything's coming in and has to get done right away because, you know, everything's, it's an emergency, you know, to the customer. <laughs> You know, and that's obviously it's like, well, if you would have planned this before, we could have had this done on a timeline or on a certain, you know, some sort of schedule, not just I need it yesterday. And that's there's a lot of that. So you're constantly dropping one thing to do something else, you know, and then eventually getting caught back up. And that that happens for sure. It's like I'll start my day and I'll, I'll be like, OK. I'm trying to think of an, like I was trying to work on these pours. I'm like, all right, I got five more on my bench, 8.30 in the morning, I'll get them done. Well, at noon, I was able to do one because I had so many other things, you know, other things coming in. And there being, you know, me plus, you know, used to be two of us in the shop full time, you know, so one person could be working on a project, one could be just dealing with the counter. So, you know, it there's... There's a lot, you know, it's like if I'm out in the out doing a car for 15 minutes, one of the other people will get the counter, you know, or get the phones or whatever, um, you know, scheduling service calls, that type of thing. Right. Because it's pretty consistent. I mean, we have commercial accounts that, you know, we're the only one they call and they're always, there's always something. So it's, you know, so it's definitely good to be busy. <laughs> yeah. So do you do much uh, in the way of picking for fun anymore or has the work no, kind of burned I mean, it out some, of you well i don't do much picking in the shop really i mean people bring stuff in and you have to get it 
open to rekey it. Um, but I get a lot of padlocks and things without keys, and you know, I want to make sure they work before I send them to my buddy to impression them or or that sort of stuff. You know, taking apart old cylinders um, to make them work and things like that. But no, I, mean, I don't have to do a ton of picking. But I also try not to drill things and try not to destroy them. You get pretty good at taking apart knobs and levers from the back, you know, to get to the cylinder. I had to do that today. You know, the customer had a peak cylinder in there from somebody else that, you know, they needed it to work on a Schlage, just an SC1 key. They didn't have any keys. Probably not going to pick it because the keyway's super, you know, tight, restricted. So I took the lock apart, got the cylinder out, and it definitely hadn't been serviced in a long time. Um, you know, thought about selling the guy a new knob, but, you know, again, it was there was nothing wrong with it right so i just know some people you know say don't ever do your hobby for a living because it ruins it obviously you still collect a lot so oh yeah i mean i get stuff that comes in from work or stuff that you know we take out of it you know we don't do multi-lock so some coworker gave me some multi-lock that they took out i sent it to bill bacardi and he made me keys you know put it in the collection you know rather than throwing it away Or yeah, I mean it could be scrapped or whatever, but you know, I, I you know, you definitely there's stuff out there that, you know, is different. And definitely you never know what you're gonna see. You know, I was working on a Nissan ignition for a car dealership this morning, you know, and the actual rekeying part of it is easy, but drilling out the retaining pins that hold the whole thing together and getting all that apart and keeping everything together, not dam you know, I'm not ruining a brand new lock. Because that's just how they come. They come keyed and assembled from the factory, and they had to be matched to the customer's key. And, you know, so that's like an hour's worth of work trying to get these stupid pins out, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely, it, it gets to be, uh, some of the jobs are more frustrating than others. Anything like Honda, with the, the they have a very common problem of the split wafers. Um, and the ignition's failing, and they lock up, and the doors use that same stupid system, and I was rekeying, you know, it was a brand new lock, but they just are a pain. When did they you go know? to that system? I I would say it's sometime in the 2000s. I, I don't know for sure. I used to work for Honda mm-hmm. way, well, over 15 years ago now, yeah. but yeah, yeah, they were... Yeah, I don't know, to be honest, but... We were it's just getting into the chipped keys and stuff yeah. when I left, so... Right, anything, you know, the laser cut, the sidewinder keys, whatever. We didn't have um, that yet. I believe those those are all split wafers, as far as I know. And they're, they just, I hate them. But, Cause you know... We used to cut, you know, punch cut keys for customers all the time on the mm-hmm. old system. They were really easy to, right. to rekey and... Yeah, most of the dealer... I think the dealerships... Some of them have the clippers or whatever. Yeah. But even like GM doesn't go back that far anymore for codes. Um, so people are coming out they're sending people to us because they're not going to take a part of the lock and rekey it, you know, and then they'll bring us cylinders. <laughs> it's, the same, it's like a, it's just a cycle. Like, 
Yeah, that, that was before I got into Locksport, but we actually did, I remember in the parts department, which is where I was working at the time, we yeah. did, we cut keys, we would recode uh, or put new wafers in to, to set up a new lock for a customer so the techs could put it in and replace it. Because I don't, I don't know of any dealerships doing that because they bring them on to us. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that anybody you know, does now that they've changed locks, yeah. but back in the day. They might still, yeah, they might still cut the keys, but even some of that stuff they're sending to us. They get factory blanks, and then they have us duplicate them, and then they do the programming. That's common, because they're not going to have a Sidewinder machine. Um, obviously, it's every brand has their own. You know, I had a friend, they were a GM dealer back in the day. They would just clip out the keys, but they're not going to sit there and rekey a door. I doubt. I doubt that they had the kits for that, you know, Ford or whatever. They'll bring stuff to us. We have a, there's a couple different companies, like a truck repair company they're bringing locks does all the time to rekey you know a door of the cable company's van or whatever but yeah it, you know you're dealing with you know dealerships parts departments suppliers customers it's a lot there's a lot of you know and there's so many variations and you put the wrong number and you get the wrong finish and then the customer's pissed and you're know, trying to be accurate trying to do things timely is obviously important being detailed but I have a lot of, you know, the, all the, the people that I work with have been doing this a very long time, and they have finishes and part numbers basically memorized. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that I've never seen that these guys have been working on for a long time, you know. So you said that shop like the, started in 64? Yeah, the, the two brothers own it. Their dad started as a little shoe repair and key shop and moved it to where it is now. The brothers took it over a long time ago, um, moved to our current location in 1994. It was basically around the corner um, and expanded, you know, and they do a lot of hard access, security cameras, uh, apartment intercoms, that kind of stuff. Do you play with any of that stuff? A little bit. You know, I'll help with some of the IT side of it, trying to get things to communicate and, you know, uh, programming cards for access control, you know, jobs like that and, you know, having to program readers, you know, that ship out and, you know, changing what format they use. And But definitely having some of the IT background, you know, you're plugging into the OBD port, you're going into different menus and stuff like that on the vehicle. Um, obviously, it's not the same as doing, you know, systems administration, whatever, but, you know, having a little bit of that knowledge is helpful. You know, I'm not out there running wire and stuff like that, even though I have. And I certainly don't mind doing that kind of stuff, you know, but now it's like, okay, I'm kind of glad to be inside. I would think that's probably going to be more and more common the way the technology in the world is heading, that that type of knowledge will be a little more useful Yeah. in the modern. Yeah. I mean, we have guys that do, you know, they get involved in the pretty big installs doing security cameras and stuff like that, you know, for different, different customers and, you know, making connecting all these uh, apartment buildings together because they had like separate access control systems in every building and separate internet connections that they were remoting from one building to the other and you know my boss was able to make a solution with some you know point-to-point wireless stuff and you know make it a lot easier for the customer and you know save them from paying five internet bills which is you know yeah. i think there was there were some issues with it working anyway you know, so that you know, there's always going to be problems, and sometimes the technology doesn't work how you want it to, and that's always fun. 
you know, especially with some of these car keys. It's like, I'm following all the instructions. It's not working. Then I go and look it up on YouTube. Oh, they didn't tell you to leave the key in the ignition when you put a jumper in the OBD port. As soon as I did that, it worked. I'm like, I'm following the instructions exactly. But when the instructions aren't right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's always and, been a, uh, always been a problem in the automotive world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, we have good support through, you know, the, our supplier and, you know, the machine is, you know, it's not a knockoff. It's made by Yoko. It's a, you know, it's a known commodity. Um, you know, that you're going to find some issues. Right. But pretty much everything, everything we've thrown at it, we've been able to do except for a couple keys that customers have supplied that have been wrong, which is, <laughs> you know, that's a different thing. Yeah. You always want, you always think of the, well, you wouldn't take a steak to the restaurant and ask them to cook it and guarantee that you won't get sick. Would you, that would be preposterous. So you're asking me to guarantee that this key's going to start your car and work. And, and, you know, it's not even something that I've supplied. That happens pretty often. I mean, now we're now we're programming them. In the past, you know, we wouldn't do that at all. But because, you know. So what other, you said your IT uh, knowledge comes in handy in a few different aspects of your, well, what do you problem do? Problem solving, you know, problem solving and triaging different things. And, you know, that sort of stuff where, you know, not don't have help desk tickets, but I have, you know things that are always coming across my bench or phone calls or being able to troubleshoot different problems without being there you know um yeah some people are willing to pay for the service call it's no problem some people want you to hold their hand through it over the phone and then you know you'll have somebody come out if they can't figure it out so so that kind of thing yeah okay i can see that that does take a unique set of skills to be able to to yeah. work through something that you can't see right and you know dealing with i mean you know outages type of situations working on projects i mean a lot of different stuff you know working in small groups i mean i'm also working directly with the customers in most cases so you know it's a small company it's not like you know everybody does everything whereas in other places you know it you were part of a group of maybe three, four people, you know, that's half the company where I am now. <laughs> so, so I, you know, it, I take it you're uh, doing it in a pretty big company then. Well, 200 people in both places. Yeah. One of which most of a lot of them were remote. They had two offices at the time and there were several, quite a few people that worked from their homes around the country. So I was supporting people that, you know, I never met. <laughs> that's not maybe met them once they came to the office or something, but they were in, you know, Florida or Texas or whatever. And we, you know, they would have equipment and connect back to the home office. But, you know, sure, I would say another thing that, you know, dealing with non-technical people, because a lot of those people didn't understand the computer stuff. But 99% of the people that I talked to, you know, oh, I need new tumblers. You know, <laughs> we joke about that in the locksmith. And, you know, I just, I just need a retumbled. And it's like every, to a customer, everything is a tumbler. You know, they don't know what they don't know in a lot of cases. And, you know, yeah, having to sort of take a step back and explain this stuff to people, you know, like, here's what you actually need. You know, this probably isn't going to work. And here's, you know, 
trying to understand the actual situation. Yeah, working back to you know, what is the problem yes. you're trying to solve. Right. You know, you know, and I don't know everything for sure. I mean, I've you know been doing this for three, almost three years professionally. You know, I have a lot of knowledge of keyways and weird stuff, and but actually in the field, you know, like I'm selling door closures and panic bars, and I've never installed. You know, and so some of it's like uh, I have to defer to you know whoever because I don't know. So you don't do much of the uh, in the field installing. No. You're you're the Correct. the bench back at the shop. Right, right. And you know, there's a lot of that. You know, I've I help in the field from time to time. There's something weird. You know, they need an extra hand or you know. Usually with a heavy door, that sort of situation, those are the, the ones that you don't like. You know, glass doors, taking them down to install closers and things on the bottom. You know, it's like stuff you never even realized, you know, in the bottom of the door on a lot of those glass doors, you know, that's where the closer is. Well, you, you would have no reason to know that if you weren't working on it. So you have to take that door off, you know, it's on a pivot or whatever. Um, you know, a lot of... A lot of what we do also is, you know, telling people you really shouldn't do X, Y, Z, you know, fire codes and exit devices and, and closers and fire doors and don't modify that and don't put a deadbolt on that and make sure you have an exit sign or don't have this or, you know, there's a lot of stuff, you know, double-sided deadbolts on a residential house. Well, if it's your own house, you can do it. But if it's a rental, the city of Cleveland or Section 8, whoever, HUD won't allow it. So you can't do it. But if you butt on a certain type of security door, if you have a thumb turn and it's not exactly straight up and down, you'll get like, it's like there's so many different little nuances that you have to know, you know, you can't do this, but it's really not designed for this either. So, you know, okay, what do you do in this situation? <laughs> so in a lot of it, you know, you can't force people to do things. But again, if your name is on it, you know, if it's blatantly wrong, <laughs> right. You know, we go out and look. If we, if we went out and looked at something, and you know they refused to, you know, fix it. I guess you know we would note that or whatever. Um, you know, there's stuff that comes up on inspections that has to be fixed and then checked, and you know, we get called out for a lot of that. You know, and again, I'm just the one taking the calls. I don't get to do the work, but I get to learn from. You know, people bring stuff back and taking it apart and figuring out why it failed. And so, do you ever? And I mean, that's. Do you ever feel like you want to go out in the field more, or are you perfectly content staying in the shop? No, or? I mean, I, I, you learn a lot more by doing it. I think, but given everything now, I would rather be in the shop. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, I can understand that. It's you know it it's a known commodity, right. Versus going to somebody's house, going to their business, whatever, you know. Um, but it, it's certainly, either way, it, there's a lot, there's work. And there's, you know, the phone doesn't really stop ringing, which is good. But it's like sometimes you can't catch your breath. You know, I'm trying to get stuff done and there's 27 other things, you know, going on. And, you know, somebody, where's my stuff that I ordered? And where's this? And. You know, so trying to be organized and, and dealing with people that have had stuff in the same spot for 20 years is always fun. <laughs> like those parts have always been there. You know, I moved them because they were in, you know, I, I tried to organize X, Y, Z. You know, that can be a challenge. Yeah, but when somebody's got everything memorized where it is, that, yeah. Right, right. 
like he can look in the keyboard and find a key in 30 seconds. You know, I could be standing there for five minutes and, and not find some uh, Yugo key blank or a Fiat or whatever, you know, because he put it there. He probably, you know, remember. How many, uh, you know, this, how many key blanks do you guys have to carry just to do your normal job? I mean, I mean, it's got to be a huge number. Oh, yeah. I mean, the most there's a good percentage of them that don't get touched, but you have them for just in case or, you know, some weird thing. Or I mean, I would say the most common ones, not automotive, is probably 50 different types. But, you know, the we probably have a thousand different blanks, I would guess, probably more between domestic and foreign automotive, commercial cylinders, you know, the some high security stuff, um, plus all the transponder keys. So there's a lot. And, you know, I mean, the, the common stuff, you know, obviously we keep a lot more of, you know, you buy, you go through 500 SC1s or KW1s every week or two, depending on what we're doing. Um, you know, SC4s, like the six-pinch leg, I mean, we'll go through a lot of those. All the different best keyways, because we have customers that use all that. We have a couple of customers that are 90% sergeant, so we stock all the sergeant stuff for them, because we're always sending keys to them. Um, you know, some stuff we stock just for one customer, or it's like their end-user restricted stuff, where they they order it through us, and then we pin it up or whatever. Or they bring us the blanks and we cut them, you know, same thing where it's, you know, nobody, we don't even have the blanks in that case. What kind of uh, brands of high security locks do you carry and actually work on? Uh, Medico, you know, the older stuff, Schlage Primus, we do a lot of, and then Kaba Peaks, we do quite a bit of as well. See, the Kaba Peak. I mean, you don't see it a ton, but we have a lot of it in the area. Um, you know, it's not super high security, but it's patented, restricted, available in every format. So you can key a whole building, mortise, rim, lever, knob, IC, all in the same system. And that's, you know, we do a lot of that. So it's nice to retrofit. And that's one of the, the selling points where they have existing hardware. It's all different stuff, you know. Are they cost effective? Yes, you know, you're not paying 125 bucks a lock. You're not paying 125 bucks a cylinder like you are with Schlage Primus. Um, you know, 60 bucks a cylinder is a lot easier to swallow. The keys are only about a dollar difference, which is kind of surprising. But, you know, a high security cylinder with a sidebar and all that. Yeah, I mean, there's people that want the Primus keys for key control, but they don't need high security cylinders. So they'll put the high security cylinders on the important areas. Everybody has a Primus key. If you have to get into a higher security area that has the Primus cylinder, and then the the customer can't get that key made at Home Depot or whatever. And the box, hold on, I want to make sure this box doesn't fall. Again. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's some people that just want basic key control, and they don't need a restricted, um, or they don't need a high security cylinder. So yeah, we do that all the time. Yeah. Where that's a nice, you know, selling feature of Primus. You know, you can't peaks. It's you know one system, and there, I, there's also backwards compatibility with the old, 
we've been selling peaks for a long time, so there's older cylinders out there. Well, the new key fits into the old cylinder. So, you know, you can keep what's out there, keep your old keys. Any of the new keys are, are the, all the, we only use the preferred blanks, and anything new that we put in, we would use the preferred cylinder. But all the, you know, stuff going back to the 90s, not going to tell them that they have to get new cylinders and just keep, you know, keep what you have. Because they might have keys that are, you know, they might have old keys or whatever the case is. So, yeah, there's, you know, there's a large installed base of different things for sure. I would say, but the automotive stuff is like, because for a while we were, you know, we have a ba- we had a basic transponder package with a PC connected cloning device where you'd have to go to the car for certain things. And, you know, we would do a handful of those, but nobody, a lot less people want a key without a remote. They want, you know, basically they want what the factory provided without paying the factory price. So we bought the Smart Pro. I did the research, you know, and they decided what to get. And, you know, we don't stock all the, we don't stock most of the remotes because we can get them within a day or two. Yeah, and it would be expensive to stock all the different... Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Right. So, you know, like the GM, you know, there's some. There's a lot that are on board and not, you don't need the programmer for. Um, you know, if, we're, if somebody has a Toyota and they just want the key, we'll continue to use the Jet stuff. You know, there's GM, like the Circle Plus, so you don't need the programmer for that. And there's still plenty of cars that use a, don't use a chip at all. The Kias and the Hyundais of the world, and you know, oh, they don't that kind of thing. They haven't nope. converted yet. Nope, they have. Even though, like their remotes, there's no transponder in a lot of them. Hmm. Um, I... But you know, the Toyotas and Hondas and all that. There's a lot of very. I would say a lot of variation. You know, used to be. I would say back in the day, which is before my time, where you know, all you would see was you know GM. You know, so you knew that's what you were getting in. You know, there are just six or eight different keyways. And, you know, each year they changed it. Well, then you start getting the automotive, the, the foreign stuff. And then all of a sudden you keep getting, keep having to carry more and more blanks. And <laughs> it gets, you know, but then there's the keys that you don't touch any, you know, somebody brought in like an old uh, Honda motorcycle, which I never even knew they had single sided pin tumbler ignitions at one point yep and, you know, i have the blank one. is literally the blank is literally you know six feet above the counter where we never go the boss has to stand up on the bench to get it and we had two of them in there you know eight bucks a piece or whatever and the guy was so happy yeah even I, though they weren't original keys you know i tested my local um, locksmith with that exact same thing for my yeah my old uh 70s honda that yeah. i bought and i and took I it in there and he's like had, he's yeah. like go to our other location uh-huh. So I had to drive across town, and that guy... Where are you located? What state? Oh, it's Oregon. Uh, yeah, I mean, we have a lot of stuff. And the hardware stores send people to us, and the dealers, and, you know, it's like, if we don't have it, <laughs> probably not going to get it. I mean, there there's a few things that we don't have because there's just not enough demand. You know, guy needed some keys for a Mustang. We didn't have them, but we got him within two days, and he was happy to pay, you know, to pr- pay for them. If you got to have it, you got to have it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and his keys weren't even real. I think somebody copied his keys, like, or they were like handmade. It looked like they had been impressioned. Oh, wow. But then we had somebody, you know, guy brought in an American padlock, and it's, you know, 
can you make a key for it? Well, sure, we can sell you a new lock. Yeah, well, I want you to make a key for it. It's been sitting there for two weeks. It's done. You know, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, no problem. But there's there's a steamer trunk that's been sitting in our shop for like 30 years. There's this like cabinet with a safe built into it. Everybody asks about buying. You know, oh, they'll be back someday to get it. And it's been sitting there for who knows how long. Um, it's, uh, I don't know, some things you don't question. It's like, some things, if they're sitting for a while, we'll put a price tag on it just to get them out. Like, I've got a lot of people, when you, when our policy, when somebody brings in a safe or whatever, you know, open it and they can get take the stuff out, well, a lot of times they don't come back. So, like, these little century strong boxes we make a key for, and eventually they don't come back, so we just clean it up, put it on the shelf, and, you know, 25 bucks or whatever. And, uh, you know, or used safes, you know, where there was a few where... They didn't want us. They they asked us to do the work on, it and they didn't like the price. So just go, just sell it. We don't care. Like okay, but it's still sitting there. <laughs> do you get many you know. safes in? No, I mean I had one actually. The guy brought it in before COVID, and he finally picked it up. A century safe. We needed a combination for, and uh, I mean we we don't stock a lot of safes just because they take up too much room. But we'll you know we have a couple guard all safes that we have on display that we sell just like a basic home use um do you do much work on on combinations yeah a little bit of combination changes and things like i mean basic stuff you know nothing advanced but we do go out and open safes and things you know when there are several people in cleveland that all they do is safes and they're sometimes that we will call them you know uh, that's their specialty right there's a couple guys actually really one guy now that that's all he does is saves. I find that pretty One of them. fascinating, but it's not easy. <laughs> no. No, I mean, he'll fabricate parts and he'll do, I mean, yeah. They're... It just, like, how much are you willing to get into it? Like the automotive stuff. Well, if you keep turning away business, eventually you realize maybe you shouldn't. And they did. So. Well, and if you're the only person in the region that's doing it, then it might be worthwhile. But it's a lot of time and, and right. money no, to I mean, invest in something if you're competing with a lot of other people, probably. Right, so. and there's plenty of other people. Ace Hardware cuts car keys, and there's other automotive people, and there's, you know, no, we're not doing with the Believe me, there's plenty of work to go around. <laughs> and there's other locksmiths, and, you know, like we don't do automotive unlocking, but we'll set, we have somebody that we tell people to call. You know, we used to tell people to call him for the car key stuff, and now we have that machine. We don't do, like, if you have no keys for your car, we don't do that. You know, we don't go out to the car. We don't take locks out of vehicles. We don't have anywhere to work on them. You know, in the in the parking lot, I'd done one, I pulled one door panel. It was absolutely miserable. You know, it had just rained. I was sitting on a piece of cardboard, you know, to get a broken key out of a lock, you know, but I'd take the whole cylinder. and. It was just not fun. And, um, yeah, I don't recommend But there, if you have a shop and you're able to do it inside or whatever, it would probably be a lot easier. So you guys don't do lockouts on automotive? No. At one time they did. And it's just they've chosen not to do that. We do have enough business with, you know, commercial residential lockouts and things like that. And even that, we don't do a ton of lockouts, but... You know, we have we do some and we get some emergency service and again mostly from the commercial stuff because most residential people don't want to pay the emergency rates. 
but if it's a you know one of our chain store customers, you know it's actually an emergency. They'll call for the they'll pay for the guy to come out. You know, most of the residential stuff they'll wait till the next day, or somebody will find a key. So, one question, uh, um, yeah, comes from something you were talking about earlier on the COVID stuff. Mm-hmm. Have you started to see any increase in? Uh, say rekeyings for evictions or anything like that recently? No, no. I mean, the landlords that we deal with, it's all just pretty much constant. You know, people are always coming and going, but no evict, not really any evictions. Just at least that I see. Just wondering because I had started to see yeah. some stuff on the news about people starting to get evicted. So I didn't know if that was starting to hit you guys or anything. No, and I know there was something with Jason and people got me. It's like, you know, you have to feed your family. So if people call, you know, we'll do the work. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, it's the business you're in. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's, yeah. You know, mostly we don't get that. I mean, there will be stuff every once in a while, a lawyer calls, we have to lock somebody. I mean, it, I think that, you know, I took in a call, they said it was a rekey. Well, they didn't, they neglected to tell us until we got out there that, there was somebody living in this unit and like, well, you need the police there. We can't do anything. Like, why wouldn't you tell us that? They wanted you to rekey it while the people were still there yeah. to basically lock yeah. them out. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. But they didn't say that on the phone. So the girl, I took in the call as a rekey is what they told me. And, uh, I mean, they're stupid. I've heard, you know, all kinds of things. I mean, just stuff that it just makes your head spin. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get and, that. Especially when the, you know I have coworkers that have been doing this for a very long, you know, longer than I've been alive, so they've seen how the industry has changed and all the different stuff and all the people. And there's there's a lot of characters in the industry, you know, for sure. There there were definitely some shady locksmiths, and you know, it's a lot better than it was. They all worked for one guy at one point at different times that ended up dying in jail. But <laughs> he did. You know, there's always stories, you know. It's uh, remember when he did this and this happened, like, oh, my, you know, it's like, is this real? Oh, yeah. Like, wow. So, but uh, do you get to yeah, work it, it, very often on older locks? Anything? No, not. I mean, you know, I'd say probably weekly, not, you know, daily. You know, people are people are not certainly not bringing in. Here's a beautiful old padlock. I want you to work on. No, it, it's. You know, I have this lock in my front door that's not working. You know, that that kind of thing. Interior mortise locks and stuff like that. Have you got to work you know, on anything not... particularly interesting while you've been in the shop? Oh, for sure. I mean, there's always, like, you know, cool decorative stuff that gets brought in. Mortise locks, like pocket door mortise locks with, like, a little pull handle on the inside. Those are pretty cool. Um, you know, just taking a mortise lock that's broken and forming a spring and making things, you know, taking something that somebody would have thrown away, you know, and made it work. And we can do a lot of stuff. You know, we're not fabricating from scratch or anything, you know, but we can take some spring steel and put things back together. And, and, you know, the customer doesn't have to try hunting down, you know, some bizarre interior lock that isn't available because there were no standards back then. And, the locks are all different sizes, and that's something that you run into for sure. You know, I'm not going to tell someone, oh, you got to go to an antique store. Well, we'll try to fix it if we can. You know, if it's got a part that's snapped off, there's not much we can do. 
but if it's got a missing spring, you know, we could, I've made keys. There's a group that runs a scenic railroad and they've brought in like parts off of their caboose or some sort of big sliding door lock that we had to make keys for, you know, that was pretty cool. Oh, wow. Um, You know, nothing, you know, it's like you make keys for the electric company for padlocks. And it's like, oh, that's cool. But I have that lock sitting on my shelf for it. You know, it's like, (laughs) well, you've got just about everything on your shelves. So, right. Right. So it's, you know, it's cool. I mean, we, I see a lot of different stuff. I mean, the, I don't know. I don't know if there's one that's like the coolest, but you know, just people bring in a bag of parts and I have to hand them back something that's complete, you know, stuff that you know kids have destroyed at the schools or whatever the case is and it's like what did they do to this <laughs> and then the maintenance guy swears he didn't take it apart but half of the screws are missing yeah they've never taken like it apart you, no right if you hadn't touched it you know now this is a much more expensive you know the the bolt froze on a lock so we cut the door with a sawzall well you basically have to replace the whole lock now dude you know, but they're not gonna they're not gonna call us out for a service call because they can't afford that. But they can they have to buy a whole new lock. It doesn't make sense. You know, some things you question, and some things are like uh, you're like okay. You know, you're happy that they're ordering something for. You. Well, yeah, they're coming to you eventually. So yeah, yeah, they may not you have know, thought it through ahead of time, but right, right. You know, they're trying to do something right away, and yeah, that's uh. A lot of stuff is reactionary, not proactive, for sure. Yeah, I think that's the way it is in most industries. Wait until you lost your last key, and then you go look, you know, then it's a problem. You know, the car came with two keys, and you don't make a spare, you know, you just wait until... Yeah. It's, uh, you know, but that keeps me in business, so... Yeah, I mean, it is, and that's the way it is in a lot of different industries, you know. There's... Yeah, my dad's a lawyer, and he's you know doing this for a long time. He said, if it wasn't for people like them, there'd be no need for people like you. That's right. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if people didn't do X, they wouldn't have to you know rekey their house or whatever. I mean, sure, if there weren't bad people, there'd be no reason for locks, and there'd be no you know like if you want to think of it like that. Um, yeah, you know, if there was no reason to keep things locked up. You know, but there's, you know, seeing it from both points, you know, it's like people come in, will you sell lockpicks? No, but we'll sell your pin kit. We'll sell your key blanks. You know, we don't sell, we'll sell some of the tools to do our job, but not all of, you know, we'll, we'll sell a customer a key machine and they'll probably end up bringing it back in for calibration and parts. And they're probably going to buy their blanks from us. So even if we're not cutting every key from them, we're still going to service this stuff, you know, so you, you know, or they don't have time, so they want me to cut, you know, 50 keys. Sure. My punch machine for best is much better than the one they, than, than yours, so it won't take me, you know, take me 10 minutes. It might take you an hour. So, sure. You know, having better equipment, obviously. You know, we have, you know, this guy online and one of the blacksmith credit was, you know, one set of depth and space keys so I can rekey my own stuff and no, nobody will sell them to me. I mean, you know, it's like any, if you're doing this for more than a hobby, you know, I have a depth and space keys here. I never use them, you know, cause there's code machine. I don't have a code machine at home, but anybody who's doing this, you know, has the right equipment to do the job. 
they haven't used depth and space keys in you know 40 years for really anything regularly because a code machine do it in you know first of all you would need the code machine to make the depth and space keys so if you can do that yeah there you have to buy yeah. them from a locksmith that can which is what they're trying to do with you well no this was somebody <laughs> online this is oh. with us but like we won't sell bump you know we don't sell bump keys we don't sell picks even though there's no rules in ohio against really any of that stuff yeah i think that's pretty you, common you don't know pretty common with a lot of locksmiths is they won't but sell you, you that stuff across, but you can walk across the street to home depot and buy a drill so <laughs> yeah but i'm not going to tell you how to drill it open you know i won't tell you know if you're not going to buy the key from me i'm not going to tell you how to program it you know there's there's that kind of thing and there's obviously it's so much different because information is so much easier to find and there's stuff that you know you keep under your hat so to speak and you don't tell them i'm not going to say that you wouldn't tell them if there's a flaw but you know I'm not going to tell them exactly how to get in let's say yeah and I know, yeah. like I cover a lot of stories as part of the podcast where, you know, criminals are caught with picks, but there's only been, I think one story that I covered where the police mm-hmm. claim to have actually caught them trying to use the picks out of all of those. Right. I think a lot of criminals think that they'd be handy and they buy them or what steal them from yeah. <laughs> whatever, but they don't, right. they don't take the time to learn to actually use them. So they're carrying them and. Right, or you're committing a different crime and you happen to have them on you. Right. You know, I don't, I mean, I carry them on the way to and from work. I don't carry them around with me all the time. You know, it's a tool for my job. It, it's, it's an interesting, I guess, dichotomy, because it's like, how you know, I'm, I have somebody looking for a blank for a little key, an old padlock, and it's like, if somebody brought it in, you wouldn't really spend the time on it, but because it's something, you know, it's like your own thing, you know, you're willing to like that locket somebody brought in today. You know, I see from the boss's standpoint, it doesn't, it's not worth the 10 or 15 bucks he would make trying to get the thing apart. If you could just sell them a new cylinder and be on their way. Right. So sort of like, you know, you take two minutes or, you know, whatever, if you realize it's not going to work, you just say, sorry, you know, I would have asked to keep the lock maybe, but, <laughs> you know, just whatever. I mean, I got, like I said, I, I have enough. He sold, I mean, it, it probably wasn't repairable, to be honest. Even if I would have soaked it and tried to, you know, I mean, I got some gunk out of it. I mean, there was nothing moving. I tried moving, you know, one of the pins with a pick and it was solid. Oh, wow. So. It had been on there for a long time and corroded brass. And it's like you see it from, but it's like you, you see it as a collector and then you see it. It's like you put your locksmith glasses on and it's, it's not worth the you, trouble. Right. I mean, if it was a historical building and it had to be, you know, maybe we would do something, take the pins out or, you know, do something with it. It's just, there's, you know, a lot of the stuff like, sliding doors i mean everything has to be completely exact there's no i think it's this part it's we have to go out and measure it because it ain't gonna work <laughs> but yeah it's you know we do a lot we do door and framework we install continuous hinges on storefront doors and these are the things i never thought about you know it's always well, it's more like a glass company type of thing but we do it you know i've helped take doors down and it's not particularly fun especially when they're heavy and have a lot of glass and you know, you have to be very, very, you know, 
but then you get something old and it's like, you know, it's like, wow, I've never seen one of these before. I had a Russwin knob last week that, you know, 30 years ago, you probably see them every day. And now it's like you see them once a year. So I had never worked on one and the boss was, you know, explaining how it worked and stuff like that, you know, to rekey it for a, for a customer. Huh. Yeah. It's the, the oddball stuff is always interesting. Came across one in an antique shop here. It's an old uh, home. I think it was for home, but a big latch assembly with a Eagle mm. lock in it. Beautiful mm. patina, but yeah in that case i'm sure they probably replaced it with something more modern for a reason but Mm -hmm. yeah i mean sometimes you hate to see like oh they put a wrapper on a door and they you know but then realistically it's like well there was a mortise lock in there and you couldn't do anything to it so either you fill the door in with wood or you know yeah there's practical limitations to everything for... for sure we're not carpenters we're not painters you know there's people have different expectations. You know, you're not going to find a lock that just slides right in most of the time. You, know, you might get lucky and go to the, you know, the Habitat Restore and find something old. <laughs> I've found, you know, brand new Schlage wafer knobs. Oh. Uh, We've got a couple of those. Obviously, right, obviously, you never know because you never know. It's like, so where I work, there's a whole the stand, plant standard is just a S. Was it the six pin leg was a SC four? SC four, yeah. Yeah, that's the plant standard. But mm-hmm. the place has been in business since the mid fifties. So you come across some really strange stuff every once in a while. One of the buildings on the office doors has the uh, Schlage wafer locks on the knobs. What, what kind of comp- what kind of company is this? Like manufacturing? Or yeah. Yeah, it's a manufacturing facility, and the uh, the sh- the wafer lock knobs are actually wow. on an office area. But... That's funny. That's crazy. <laughs> and I didn't. Ne- I would have never noticed till I started getting into lock sport. But you start walking around, and you're like, "What is that?" And you start looking it up, and figure it out, and somebody shows you the key, and you're like, "Whoa!" Yeah. <laughs> there, I mean, we we still make quite a few of the copies, the SC six and the SC twenty two. Yeah, huh. they're out there. You know, we replace them when we can. Yeah, I don't know that these have been used much in uh-huh. recent history, if anybody's locked them much, but... It's, yeah, I mean, they're not very secure. <laughs> you know, they're not fun to work on. I've never done it, but if... You know, a guy from the Locksmith Association said he would show me how. We haven't had a meeting. Well, I haven't gone to a meeting. They're meeting, you know, now I'm like, I don't think I'm really... Just to be safe. I mean, any other, any other questions? Anything you? Uh, I can't really think of anything right now. Like I said, this is all new to me. I'm not a. Yeah, no. It's just... I'm learning as I go. So. For sure, no, it's fun. It's definitely uh, everybody's kind of learn. No, I'm. I'm in. I hope that you can have success with this for sure. Mm. Well. Yeah, I never intended to have a, a podcast for Locksport in the first place. I was just mm-hmm. wanting wanting to find one mm-hmm. and couldn't. So Right, there really aren't. Any. And so I had the equipment, but Yeah. That was really for my uh I do a podcast with my wife and mm-hmm. um so the equipment was for that. I mm-hmm. am not at all comfortable with 
most of this. <laughs> I'm not a. See, I did, I, not. I mean, it, it's a segue. You can edit it out if you want. But I did technical theater, and then I did lighting and sound in high school and college for all different kinds of events and that sort of stuff. So I've always been behind. You know, I've been on the other side of the microphone for a long time. And I did radio and I took some TV classes, and I never wanted to be on stage. But when I got active in my Masonic Lodge, before I could ask to be on stage crew, the guy asked me if I wanted to have some speaking parts and some stuff. And I, so I did like actual acting roles. And then, then I was stolen for the stage crew. But it's like I kind of enjoyed it, you know, being on stage and not, you know, I don't love the memorizing, and, but I enjoy doing college radio and that kind of thing, just having fun goofing. You know, we did a, some shows. Um, you know, just basic stuff with some friends, and, but like running events and doing all the actual sound reinforcement and bang, you know small bands and things like that. I used to enjoy that. You know, I would say I worked, I did spend for some of the worst college bands you've ever heard of, <laughs> <laughs> and there were some that were really bad. And there was one that t- tried to touch my soundboard. I did not like that. That was my uh, part of the the podcast was mainly the technical side i was supposed to Mm -hmm. and then just kind of bounce questions off of her while she did the bulk of the the talking so that Mm -hmm. this was new to me yeah like i don't do long youtube videos i mean and i won't film myself picking anything as a locksmith mostly because i don't pick much but i'll show off my cool stuff (laughs) and you certainly do get a bunch of stuff in i think i have one picking video period you know, I think from college, your yeah. first, my very, yeah, from very first back. YouTube video was a picking. Yeah. yeah. The people that started Locksport aren't even in Locksport anymore. So it's sort of like, you just see this progression of people and like, I'm subscribed to so many people, it's, you know, I'll catch it if somebody tells me to, you know, like Chris is putting out five videos a day. I can't possibly watch all that. There's, there's so many so, channels now and some of them are so, yeah prolific that there really is no way to keep up especially if you work a lot of hours but it is cool like you know there's some there's a lot of people that maintain records of these old systems and if you find a you know a say a lock with ac doco on it stamped abc one two three i know two or three people that might have the codes that i can get that get those apart because they've you know documented over the years these are and, and again, we would never do this with a system that's in use, just so everybody knows that. <laughs> but something that's, you know, it's a, a Ford plant that closed 40 years ago, it's relatively harmless. Right. You know, making those keys and documenting and that sort of thing. And a lot of it for me is the history. You know, I'm, I'm a member of the journal, member of the American Lock Collectors Association. And this past month, there was a whole several page article about key machines, you know, stuff that I never have seen before. Because I've only been doing this, you know, a handful of years. So you just, you know, somebody researched patents and figured out, you know, basically what was the first key machine. And there's a guy in Pennsylvania, Tom DeMont, who has a key machine museum. And he's got a 501c3. And all he does, I mean, he does tons of other stuff, but he just has key machines and parts and all different stuff. And he's actually a high security wizard. And he, he's the awesome distributor that I got that um cylinder four for gordon and great guy and he's worked for like all the lock companies but i mean the the uh, the ingenuity and the way that this stuff was made that's what i like you know when somebody brings in a mortise lock because no two of them are the same 
you know, that's that's what I enjoy because everything was different. You know, the parts on this best padlock are the same as the ones I get today. You know, it's cool to take it and put it back together and find the parts. And, you know, again, because it's for me, it's worth the time. But, you know, if it was for a customer, you're not going to find the ball bearings and wait two weeks for them to come in. You're going to go back on your shelf and sell them a new lock and, you know, have a nice day. You know, in an ideal world, you know, the, the customer brings in, uh, they order some Avis padlocks. They're supposed to be Russwin. They order them in with a Yale cylinder. Like, well, I can sell you today master lock locks with the same keyway, or you can wait, you know, a week to get the adapters in to make the Avis locks work. The locks are the same shape, same form factor, you know, so he's going to try with the customer, you know, to see if they'll accept it. The only difference, the ones I have in stock aren't key retaining. But, mm-hmm. you know, in an ideal world, I could order those from Wilson Bohannon or Packlock, key to their key. But, you know, a lot of the lead time, you know, we stock direct from Master. We order direct. So we have a lot of padlocks in stock. You know, yeah, I love Wilson Bohannon. I love Packlock and, you know, other companies. But unfortunately, you know, it's about lead times and it's about having, you know, and I'm sure that other companies could do it, but, you know, to get a case of 24 Master Pro Series padlocks already keyed up to a number, ready to go within a couple of days. Right. You know, and we sell a lot of the Pro Series locks for outdoor use. And, you know, there's a big difference between a Master 1 and a Master 65, you know, 61, 25, uh, you know, ball bearing with a plastic thing. And I mean, it's, it's a good lock, you know. And it's going to hold up a yeah. master number one, you know, the problem I have with, but, but we sell them, you know, I'm not going to lure somebody into a false sense of security, but you know, I know for, for use where we are, um, a lot of the lock padlocks around where I work are just master, like number ones, master number threes, mm-hmm. And a few different, but they're all the lower end masters. And we have a, <laughs> Oregon is a wet environment. We have oh, yeah. some corrosive atmospheres in certain areas. So more often than not, when there's a problem with the padlock, it's because it's rusted solid and it's a bolt cutter operation mm-hmm. and just replace it. And I kind of wish they'd invest. Oh, did I lose you? I'm here. Oh, okay. I just lost the video. Um, I kind of wish they'd invest in something that was a little more corrosion resistant. I know like, right. like pack lock, <laughs> their lotto locks, yeah. they have the, the hardened stainless shackle and all that, where that's a big problem we have is our lotto locks. If you leave them locked on for too long, <laughs> you have a real hard time. You right. got to soak and I, them and I, yeah. to get them back off. And I did sort of, I'm like, are you sure you don't want this with a brass shackle? If you say that you're using using this in, you know, an electrical substation and, well, I don't know. I'll ask. <laughs> and I, I don't, it, you know, it's like, I'm not trying to upsell you. I'm trying to sell you the right thing. Personally, I would prefer if my work just went with one of the, like, what is it? They have the master lotto locks and stuff with a, uh, it's a plastic or a nylon type shackle. Yeah. Something that's corrosion resistant would be better. It's not like we're trying to, we're putting plastic locking devices on with these locks. We don't need a uh-huh. strong metal lock. 
that's what a lot of people don't understand. You see a lot of the the conversations on the the lock picking Reddit and stuff about yeah. Oh, why do they put just a cheap plastic body on them? Because uh, that's not right. the point. I mean, you <laughs> right, you see it from a different yeah. As a user of Lotto stuff, if somebody wants to bypass, they probably can. They're going to get mm-hmm. fired for it, and somebody's probably going to get hurt if they do. But you're putting a a plastic lockout device and locking it with this right. padlock. Well, it's there to say, right, but, don't right. do this more more than anything else, I guess. Right. Right. And yeah, it's it, it's yeah, it's you see it from different angles for sure. And I understand yeah. why, like a big company like mine uses Master Lock over. Packlock or or a lot of the others is because Master now has that system where they track your the locks that that you've bought and you are using, so they can guarantee mm-hmm. you don't have two of the same key code in your facility at all. Mm-hmm. And they for track combination that. like for combination locks. No, this is for the key cuts on lockout tagout oh, locks. Oh yeah, with the lockout. Because yeah, every our policy is everyone needs a different key code, and Master well, has a program. Where they can track that for you. Well, that's required, I believe. That's not just your. I mean, that's well. One, there, there are one different ways to. One, there yeah. are different ways to do it. Um, there are master key systems in different plants, but. No, our, but I thought lockout tagout was not allowed to be master keyed or keyed alike. You can buy them keyed alike. One key, one lock. You can buy them keyed alike, and you can buy them master keyed. It's um, hmm. it's up to individual plant policies. How you do it. You have to guarantee that interesting how things are done, but and that nobody can get one open that can't. But there are different ways right, to do like, it. The easiest way is one key, yeah. one person. Because what I've seen, you know, like a master 401, you only get one key with it, period. Right. We can't we can't get the blanks, you can't order the maybe you can it, that's the whole idea with the lockout stuff is that you can only get one key. Yeah, you'll only get one key in the box. So um, nobody else can open that lock so you don't get killed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole, you, you know, I'm not up on all that stuff and codes and, you know, I mean, basic things that I have to know, but. Yeah. Well, I should probably. My, my bet. Yeah, my phone <sighs> battery. Well, it's actually better than I thought it would be. <laughs> well, my recorder just gave me an error. So I'm gonna have Uh-oh. to use my backup, but <laughs> cool. So I probably should let you go. Sounds good. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. I have a good one. Bye. Bye. All right. If you stayed tuned for the whole interview, thank you very much. Remember, this podcast needs your support. You can support the podcast in several different ways. Not the least of which, the most important of which, is sending in any information you have that you like the community to know. Anything that you think is the least bit helpful to the community, send it in to podcast at locksportscast.com or you can message me on several different social media platforms. You can find all of those in the show notes or at support.thelocksportscast.com. Share the show with your friends, anybody that's even remotely interested in the Locksport or the Locksport community. Let them know about the podcast. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. Leave a comment and a thumbs up on YouTube or subscribe on Patreon or donate via PayPal. If you support the show in one of those significant ways, I will list you as a producer. 
and provide a link to your YouTube channel or blog or whatever you have that you want shared. I will leave a link to that in the show notes on my website. So make sure you send that in along with whatever information you send in. Thank you for staying tuned. Thank you for supporting me. And please remember to keep it legal.